I knew Bess Hawes, and when I first got to know Bess, and, and she taught me a lot, I sat and listened to her on many occasions, but she would emphasize that the folk and traditional arts are not static. They are always evolving, and there is a contemporary side to traditional expression, but it, it evolves over time, and it needs to continue to evolve and be relevant and speak to young people and speak to individuals of, of different uh, backgrounds. I mean, we preserve that which has been around a long time, but we also nurture it in a, in a way where it can continue to grow and be relevant and be part of an active community experience. And coming together in a community is so important. We, in our culture, have done a lot of things to separate people into different parts of neighborhoods or a community or whatever, but you need activities, programs, and places where people come together and celebrate a sense of community. And the arts do that well, the folk arts do that especially well. That's Al Head. He's the executive director of the Alabama State Council on the Arts and recipient of the 2012 Bess Lomax Hawes National Heritage Fellowship Award. Welcome to Artworks, the program that goes behind the scenes with some of the nation's great artists to explore how art works. I'm your host, Josephine Reed. As you just heard, it would be difficult to find a more eloquent advocate for folk and traditional arts than Al Head. For 40 years, Al has been pivotal in ensuring that folk art would be recognized and honored by state and national arts agencies. As state's art director in first Florida, then Louisiana, and for the past 28 years, Alabama, Al has the unique distinction of creating folk arts programs in each of these three states. Throughout the years, he's served on many folk and traditional arts panels here at the NEA, and he's been involved in the nominating process of artists who've gone on to receive National Heritage Fellowship Awards, like Clifton Chenier, and the a cappella gospel group, the Birmingham Sunlights. Al Head has spent his career demonstrating and celebrating the importance of folk and traditional arts to the social and economic fabrics of communities, working tirelessly to expand state funding for these art forms and developing innovative programs that allow these arts to grow and reach diverse audiences. Little wonder then that Al Head would be chosen to receive the 2012 Bess Lomax Hawes Award, which recognizes an individual who has made a significant contribution to the preservation and awareness of cultural heritage. I spoke with Al soon after the award was announced. I wanted to know how he first became interested in folk and traditional art. When I was in, um, in Florida, and I started off in Tallahassee in 1972, and this was in the panhandle part of the of the state and and they were rich folk traditions in that area my hometown is uh, troy alabama in the wiregrass part of alabama and folk culture was something that was very prevalent there something i experienced as a young boy and i i just thought it was uh, magical but when i was in a position professionally to start looking at areas of, of support, 
that was something that seemed very obvious. And there were artists and folk traditions that were all around us. And, and for the most part, back in the early 70s, in establishing government support for the arts, we were looking at large museums and symphony orchestras and dance mm-hmm. companies. And, you know, the folk arts were something that were seen as, as nice, but that's not something that really is a big part of, of our funding policy. Luckily, right now, I think we're at a point where we just accept the centrality of folk and traditional arts in American culture. But Bess and you were pioneers in really making that happen. I think programming and supporting the folk and traditional arts as a matter of public policy was something that had not been established, certainly not at the state level. It just was part of my background, part of my rearing and perspective, and uh, as part of government support for the arts, I I thought that was uh, appropriate and important from the very beginning. If you're dealing with the arts and culture of of a state, uh, I've often said on many occasions that uh, folk and traditional arts reflect the personality, the, the soul, the the, really the integrity of, of the culture of a state better than, better than anything else. And to not have that be uh, a big part of your policy, your program, your goals, your mission in terms of what you do is, is a huge oversight. But that involved a lot of communication with public officials and people who were uh, involved at the time. And for the most part, it was advocating something that people realized was important, but many times overlooked. I'm curious about how you moved into the arts. You were a star quarterback on a national championship college team. (laughs) Well, I was a quarterback at what was Troy State University at at the time, and I I was one of those that really did not know what I wanted to be or what I wanted to do, and Football had been a big part of my life in in high school and then got a scholarship to play in in college. But in terms of studying, having a major, I I started off in marine biology and went to business administration and psychology. But all of that time, I was taking courses in art history and aesthetics because I was interested in it and I loved it. And it was something that uh, I I had maybe a passion for at that time. By the time I was a senior and was looking at graduating, I I realized that that art history was what was really kind of ringing my bell at that point. And I know that from a standpoint of playing football, guys on the team would kind of look sideways at me and say, you know, what, what is it you're doing here? (laughs) But it was something that, again, I enjoyed and and have ever since. You know, I read, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but an early NEA program called Project Impact actually did have an impact on you. The year after I graduated from Troy State, I taught at the high school, and I was also a coach, an assistant coach. In Pike County, Pike County was designated as the term then was culturally deprived and uh, the National Endowment for the Arts and the U.S. Office of Education had a national program and Pike County was one of five counties nationally that was part of this project impact and at that time 
there was a real infusion of artist and artist residence programs and performing arts, visual arts. And when I was teaching at the high school, I was exposed to a number of these artists that would come into my classroom and come into the school and they were doing work with students and it was it was really phenomenal phenomenal opportunities but at that time and this was 1971 72 just having graduated from college I mean I had never heard of the National Endowment for the Arts and then I I started to realize that there was some really important significant exciting programs going on and that there was this federal agency that that was really initiating this in a rural area of Alabama and so I started connecting the dots and realizing that there was a much larger world of of support out there for these kind of activities than I had had realized but uh, that exposed me to uh, a lot of artists to a lot of programming a lot of interest at the federal level in uh, the rural areas, in this case, of Alabama. I'm going to blow your horn since I don't think you're about to. You are the person who created three different state arts programs in Florida, the Florida Folk Life Program, in Louisiana, the Louisiana Folk Arts Program, and then in Alabama, the Alabama Center for Traditional Culture. So first of all, congratulations, and we all thank you for that. Well, thank you. It it needed to be done, and it was a a pleasure for me to be part of opening that door to allow a lot of really top-notch professionals start doing some great work. Here's a question I have for you, Al, and that is one thing that strikes me about folk and traditional art is that even though it certainly speaks with a universal language, it's very specific, I think, to a locality. And I'm wondering how the different emphases in the arts between Florida, Louisiana, and Alabama. There are some things that are shared and and in common, and then there are some things that are indigenous to a a state, to a region, in some cases to a a community. And uh, there is southern culture that we talk about a lot like it is one thing but obviously it it is not i mean there are many cultures in the in the south and southern culture is about as diverse as any location that you would ever want to find but there is commonality but going to you know somewhere like louisiana and experiencing the cajun culture the acadian culture there you know, I mean, you realize that is something that is very unique to Louisiana. You, you come to a place like uh, Alabama, and you realize that the roots of African-American gospel music in and around the Birmingham area, that that's very indigenous to Alabama and that part of the state. So you want to make people aware of that, appreciate that, and celebrate that. And in most all cases, you don't have large institutions arts institutions that are programming in in these areas. In the folk arts, these are things that happen in the community. They happen in the church. They happen in a variety of different uh, venues, but don't have this, again, tradition of of being part of that nonprofit sector that we use to fund the arts. Uh, In the folk arts, that was a little more complicated and a little bit more difficult. You've been at the head of the uh, State Arts Council at Alabama for 
over 25 years. What is it, 28 now? Yeah, 27 and a half. Yeah, 27, like 27 and a half. Yeah. Let's talk about the changes that you've seen in both the public's response and the government's response to the arts and the arts place in the community over that time. Let me say when I, you know, when I came to Alabama in 1985 from Louisiana, there had been good work that had been going on here for quite some time. But in terms of the size and scope of the commitment, it was not as large as it could be and and should be. And, you know, when I came, after having been in Louisiana for eight years, I was of the feeling that the the, the folk arts, that's one of the the richest cultural resources that the state has and that we need to support that more, celebrate that more, make people more appreciative. And we developed a structure. We developed an organizational structure for uh, maximizing what we could do in this area. And uh, we started off with actually a challenge grant from the National Endowment for the Arts, which was pretty unique to start a folk life center in a state for the endowment to be providing a challenge grant for that. And I had been on NEA folk life panels for a number of years, and I was aware of the kind of applications that came in and in general. But I put together this challenge grant, and it was funded and really was uh, the springboard for us starting the Alabama Center for Traditional Culture, which is a a more program-oriented entity than the state council is is normally we're we're primarily administering a grants program and have a number of special projects but the center engaged in field work and programs radio programs and we had uh, folk life festivals for a number of years and and so that was just part of moving this kind of cultural expression front and center within the state where it very much deserved to be Well, Al, you've also been very eloquent about one shift that you've seen over your time in Alabama is that the arts are now not just seen as a lovely addition to add on when times are good and there's money, like the decorations on a cake, but it really is rather something essential, and it really has a tremendous social and economic impact on a community. The arts in general and the folk arts in particular as I said earlier, represent the heart and soul of a, of a state. And as you are trying to um, promote a state and promote the quality of life within a state, you know, how do you do that? You can do that very, very well and very effectively through the arts. And more and more people, as far as corporations and CEOs and executives deciding where they're going to move a company or or make an investment they have choices about where they want to live where they want to bring their families where they want their children to grow up and quality of life is increasingly uh, important and when we can put what i think is our best foot forward regarding uh, the work of artists and arts organizations we're constantly uh, pleasantly surprised by people that visit alabama they come in and they said, we had no idea that all of this was here. We had 
no idea about what a rich cultural landscape Alabama is. And the folk arts are a very big part of that, but also in Alabama, we've got a wide range of contemporary art and artists and great work is uh, taking place. We've got fine museums, fine symphony orchestras, and it's, it's all part of a package. And as a matter of public policy and as a, a matter of planning a strategy within a state on how you move a state forward, you know, we very much need to have officials, public officials and, and others that are aware of, of the arts and, and see this as a uh, tool, as, a, as another part of, of how you attract interest and, and how you get people excited about coming to a state. And I would think that folk and traditional arts really is a centerpiece in that because it is so reflective of the state itself. It is, and it's hard to find someone who does not have a family connection, a community connection, a personal connection with somebody back home where when they were growing up, they experienced a musician or a woodcarver or a potter or a storyteller. And it goes back to, again, the roots of who we are and where we come from. And in this day and time of high technology, when we're in front of monitors and we're using all of these different sophisticated means of communication, the, the term has been used before about high tech, but then the need for high touch and the arts, and particularly the folk arts, provide us with that high touch experience where we're going back to something real and going back to something authentic and something that we know where we've, we've come from and we value these things in a variety of ways. And the more you kind of appreciate uh, your culture, you, you realize these things have to be saved and preserved and celebrated. And uh, that's what the folk arts are, are all about. And I say celebrated, celebrating diversity as opposed to being confused and intimidated by diversity. The folk arts are the best way in the world to celebrate diversity of people, diversity of cultural expression. And so we enjoy being able to do that. Well, I'd like to actually just have you discuss briefly, if you don't mind, a program that you shepherded in Louisiana, and that, that was documenting the Vietnamese resettlement there, which seemed to me to be a perfect expression of how folk art can work, because here are new people coming to our shores, and the traditions that they'll bring that down the road become a part of folk and traditional art and part of the bigger picture of Louisiana. Well, that was a new population. It was a growing population. And uh, I really have to give a lot of credit to Nick Spitzer, who I hired in Louisiana in the fall of, of 77. And Nick had so much sensitivity toward this new population and realized that there were cultural expressions there that were important, but very foreign to the state of Louisiana at that time, but to provide an outlet, to provide an avenue and a vehicle for these new immigrants to maintain and celebrate a big part of their culture was a huge part of the infusion of that population in the state. And, you know, people tend to know what they like and like what they know. And something that is <laughs> that is foreign to them, 
they tend to be a little alienated or confused or in some cases intimidated by it. But the more you get to know something, the more you appreciate it and the more you want to be a part of it. And, and you know, that was the case with the uh, Vietnamese population in, in Louisiana. The more you got to know about it, the more you enjoyed it. I mean, that you realized how rich it was. We have a Cambodian community f- fishing uh, community down in uh, the Biolobatry area of, of Alabama, and it's the same there. This is a source of great pride for these people and for us to recognize that and give them opportunities to, to show this part of their culture off is uh, an important thing for us to be able to, uh, to do. And you've also begun a cultural exchange program. Tell us about that. Our cultural exchange program started a number of, of years ago, and um, it was primarily and initially centered around the, the resource of marble in, uh, in Alabama and, and Silicaga. And the marble industry has evolved to the point where uh, most of the marble, 90% of it, is being ground up and used for filler, for toothpaste and paint and cosmetics. And in Silicaga, there was only one quarry that was bringing out chunks and blocks of marble that could be used for sculpting. So we were trying to rejuvenate and refocus interest on this fine marble that is from Alabama. To make a really long story short, we started visiting in Italy, Pietrasanta in particular, and, and we were wanting to bring some Italian sculptors, master sculptors and artists to Alabama to work with this Silicaga marble and to engage in demonstrations and, and rejuvenate uh, some interest and bring in sculptors from different parts of Alabama and really around the country to work with these sculptors. And, and the tradition of marble sculpting in Italy is, you know, I don't have to say a whole lot about, about that. But the excitement that that has stimulated in Silicaga, they now have a Silicaga marble festival. And the tradition of marble sculpting goes way back there, but it had all but been forgotten. And so that was a big part of the, uh, the emphasis and focus for the cultural exchange. And it spread into other areas, including music and literature. And I mean, we took uh, our African-American acapella gospel group, the Birmingham Sunlights, who were recipients of the Heritage Award several years ago to perform over in Pietrasanta, Italy. And they performed on the piazza there and started off with a crowd of a couple of hundred. And within uh, 10 or 15 minutes, there were 2,000 people there that they couldn't believe what they were hearing. Said it's going to rain, children. God's going to send the water from Zion. Lord, he's going to raise the heavens up higher. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. Said it's going to rain. God's going to send the water from Zion, Lord, he's going to raise the heaven up higher, it's going to rain, it's going to rain. Now wait a minute, God got angry upon his throne, the angels up in heaven, they began to moan, he said, go down angels, stir up a flood, blow out the jungle, take a the then come back angels and bar the door, I declare my time shall be no more, they tell me great God when it started to rain, the way They battled on the door, said, look, I hear Noah, can you take on the board? But Noah said, I'm sorry, my friend, but God's got the key to you can't wear it. It's gonna rain, hey, 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 h
to see that sort of cultural bridge of how this Italian population was responding to the Birmingham sunlights was really pretty amazing and, and quite, quite a thrill, actually. This kind of dovetails into the Alabama Folk Arts Apprenticeship Program, doesn't it? That began 22 years ago? Well, that's been, that's been going on for a long time, yeah, and 22-plus years. This is a program that the endowment has been funding for a number of years, and then we have, over time, continued to put more and more state money into that program. But to provide support for master artists to teach their craft or their tradition or their expression to a younger generation that's very very important and uh, Bess Hawes was very emphatic about the importance of teaching the younger folks these traditions and making sure that they again could carry on and you you like what you know and you know what you like and there in some communities there is a tendency for the young folks to go in, in different directions and, and even to the point of some alienation there regarding different artistic expressions. But invariably, when you get them together with a master artist, there's an incredible amount of interest and respect uh, and engagement there that, that happens through the apprenticeship program that I don't know where and how it happens anywhere else. We need to do more and more of that. and. And these model programs uh, really help us to uh, introduce important work to the younger generation, but also to celebrate and recognize the work of these uh, master artists, whether it's in quilting or wood carving or pottery or, or um, music, absolutely. And it's, it's an incredibly successful program. And here we are at the dawn of the 21st century, Al Head. Where do you think folk and traditional arts are right now at the cusp of a new century? Again, I go back to that high-tech, high-touch. I think that as we move forward with all of this technology, we still have this in our bones and in our genes where we don't want to lose touch with where we came from. We want the pride of our culture, of our ancestors, to kind of live on. As we deal with government and public policy, and, you know, we talk about the size of government and reducing the size of government and what are essential functions of government and to what extent do we support the arts and to what extent is this something that needs to expand or grow in a time of difficult economy. But, you know, when we're talking to legislators here in Alabama, you know, you throw out all kind of fancy facts and figures and impact studies and this, that, and the other, but you let an artist speak and do what artists do, invariably that touches people in a way where they will say, I get it. And they will be proud of that person. They're proud that they're from their community, from their state. You know, and I've heard cowboy poets do it. I've heard uh, Cajun musicians do it. I've heard acapella gospel groups in Alabama do that. And no one argues with the fact that this is important. And again, we, we dissect things in trying to determine what kind of funding is, is appropriate or, or those kind of things that make us a great state, a great community, a great country. And when you have artists perform and do what artists do, 
it is the strongest statement uh, that you can make about this is a big part of who we are as a country and, and what we need to be about. I can't help but think as humans we realize that this is the highest form of, of human expression and there's got to be a, a kind of avenue of, of support for keeping that alive and well. Al Head, thank you so much. And again, many, many congratulations. A real pleasure talking with you. That was Al Head. He's the executive director of the Alabama State Council on the Arts and the recipient of the 2012 Bess Lomax Hawes National Heritage Fellowship Award. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. Adam Campy is the musical supervisor. The music was composed and performed by Pat Donahue and Clint Hoover. It's Gonna Rain, sung by the 2009 National Heritage Fellows, the Birmingham Sunlights. You can subscribe to Artworks at iTunes U. Just click on the iTunes link on our podcast page. Next week, a conversation with author Margot Livesey. To find out how Artworks and communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening. Thank you.